0: and here, welcome to this week's Infection Control Matters, and um, I'm delighted to be joined again by John Otto, one of our normally most popular guests on the podcast, and John posted one of his usual really informative blogs after going to ICPIC about plasmids, so we thought we'd have a chat about that, because it's a fascinating subject, and it sort of links with some many of the things we've covered on the podcast in the past, and lots of papers John mentioned as
1: well, so hello John, what piqued your interest in this then while you were in ICPIC? Uh, hi, Martin. Uh, nice to be back. Um, what you can't see, those listening, is that I am currently in a greenhouse. So if I sound <laughs> like I'm perspiring, that's because I'm perspiring. So you have to forgive me if my train of thought gently slides away into the sunshine. I can see um, it if it I'm helps. Not a- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually in a greenhouse. It just feels like a greenhouse. Yeah. So, what piqued my interest in this session at ICPIT? was great, by the way, in Geneva. Um, Geneva's lovely. I'm pleased it was a short stay um, because otherwise I would literally have no money. No. It must be one don't of the most water. expensive cities on the planet. No, it's no not I cheap. don't buy anything. No. Definitely don't buy a gin and tonic. Um, so, what piqued my interest in plasmids and plasmid transmission? Obviously, uh, carbapenem resistance and carbapenemase genes are a major concern for anybody working in fetch control. Um, If you haven't had outbreaks of them already, then then they're coming to a hospital near you. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. Um, It's a really complicated area. So MRSA, C. diff, it's child's play. They're very straightforward microbiologically in that you've got a single microorganism and in the case of MRSA, a single resistance gene. And in the case of C. diff, a couple of toxin genes that are the problem. When we come to CPE, we call it one acronym, but it's actually a whole microbiological zoo underneath that. We've got 10, 15, 20 species of bacteria that can be CPE. And then we've got the big five carbapenemases, but lots of other minor players as well that can make them resistant to carbapenems. So it's a really complicated area to begin with throw in the idea of potential plasmid-mediated spread of carbapenemases between different species of bacteria. And honestly, Martin, it wrecks my head from yeah. an infection control. I mean, voice. that's
0: the tricky bit, isn't it? Because,
1: you know, going back in my day, you'd be
0: keeping an eye on the organisms and maybe eventually you got something like IC net, which would pull up, oh, there's a couple of Citrobacter here with a similar pattern or something like that. But here you could have an introbacter one day Citrobacter a couple of days later, then an E. coli, uh, then a Klebsiella, and you're thinking, ah, oh, there's no problem here. Okay, man, they're, they're all a bit resistant, but actually, you yeah. actually you have an outbreak, but <laughs> it's not quite so easy yeah. to spot it. That's the problem. And yeah. I know that's, uh, that yeah. was a big issue in North Manchester a few years ago.
1: Yeah, and and just this t- to step back and, and think about the biology a little bit. Mm. with Within the CPE world, you can have clonal spread, so that's where your same bacterium same carbapenemase spreads from patient to patient in a more traditional way we know all about that we know how to deal with that we're not very good at necessarily dealing with it effectively Hmm. but at least we can get our heads around it so we know that if we screen patients if we isolate them clean the environment look after the drains and the water then we've got a good chance of, of reducing transmission the problem with cpes is that you get plasmids which are Mobile genetic elements that can carry the carbapenemase gene itself from one bacterium to another bacterium. So you could get an NDM, for example, in a Klebsiella that jumps to make an Enterobacter NDM producing. How do we track that from an IPC viewpoint? What are the interventions that we can do to prevent spread? So that's what drew me into the session, really. Um, and I, you know, as as is always the case with a good a good gnarly problem, I came out with more questions than answers. But it, it certainly was it was good to hear the state of the art. I mean, I, I agree with you. How do we prevent it?
0: I don't think we can. I've got to be honest. Unless you prevent gram negatives having sex with each other, then you're <laughs> not going. You know, how can you prevent it? You know, give them. I've, I've no idea. Is there is there a like a. I don't know an anti- anti-fertility clinic or something like that. Is there because it's it's conjugation that's on and the various other mechanisms that's occurring in yeah. drains and on skin and in wounds. I'm not sure we can actually prevent that. I think we can only try and look at the aftermath of it. I mean, have you got any field? Was there any field from the conference where this is actually happening? Or is it just happening anywhere where these organisms are working together? And presumably it's happening in biofilms. But, you know, where are we with the science on that one as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there is just the slightest possibility that it's not actually happening at all in the way that it appears to be happening. Because what we're doing to say that, that we have what you might describe as a plasmid outbreak or a plasmid mediated outbreak is to sequence the plasmids themselves and to say the genetic sequence of this plasmid is the same as the one in a different bacterium. So it looks like that plasmid has gone from bug A to bug B. And when we're concluding that that's transmission, there's just a possibility that the genetic sequence of these plasmids could be really conserved. So the same generally in that in the whole bacterial population so it may not be that we're seeing local transmission it may just be that these plasmids are out there in the environment anyway and and it's not local transmission that seems unlikely i mean that's a good Um, point because but it it is just a possibility
0: yeah that's a really good point because actually when you go looking for carriers you know you know generally your risk groups for things like MRSA and CDF frequent flyers people who live in group living accommodation that sort of stuff but actually the CPEs are turning up in people who don't have that sort of those traditional risk factors aren't they we know if you go screening they they are not the people you would normally have picked up the people you might have isolated as you screening for MRSA for example and so this is happening in the general environment globally isn't it and it's yeah, you know, you've only got to look in sewage wastewater all over the world, and you just find it absolutely everywhere. Not necessarily related to healthcare, and you, you look for these genes, and you'll find them sitting on fruit in China, and you know it's it's, yeah. it's a really complex issue, isn't it? So I mean, it
1: I'm, is. Okay, it's a really complex issue. And to go back to the question of where is this happening, we don't know, but the evidence seems to be pointing to the inanimate environment particularly drains because mm. if we sample the drains we're finding these plasmids turning up in all kinds of different uh species of gram-negative bacteria not even necessarily the ones that turn up in humans mm. so it does seem like drains is where is where it's happening and and we know that there's various different routes back from the drains to to the human population when sinks back up or when you get splash back from the drains um there's good roots in, so I think most of the, what do we do about this? How do we prevent it? Focused on on taking better care of our drains.
0: I mean, you covered that very nicely in the blog. Um, did you see that paper I discussed a few weeks ago with uh, Giovanni battista facini about the fact that uh, in German ITUs the less sinks they have, the less infections they have? Because <laughs> I thought that was yeah. really quite interesting. Uh, uh, because yeah, you know, I, did see I mean, that. and you highlighted Mark Garvey's work about the the splashes. You know, it you know should be as a baseline, just walk around our organisations and make sure that there's no chance of a splash hitting something significant. Because you still see sinks in treatment rooms where people are mixing up IV drugs. You know, how how can we do something along those lines? But you know, I, I start then thinking about patient hygiene areas. And the patients, they're washing themselves in the sink, which is connected to, to the drain. Yeah, and there's a reasonable chance that while they're washing themselves, if they if we use the sink in an ensuite, they're going to be washing themselves in whatever's down that drain. You know, there's likely to be contamination coming back up that system as well, isn't there? I mean, it's. I uh, then you start going. Well, what the hell do we
1: do? We do here. Yeah, so in terms of what do we do? I think the first thing is to be open to this as a, as a possibility mm. and to begin to take the, the baby steps towards sizing the risk. I mean, some really clever um, and detailed genomic studies that were featured in this session at ICPIC from Singapore suggested that plasmid-mediated spread of carbapenemases was almost the majority of transmission events in their data set. That's what it looked like mm. in their huge data set of saved CPE. From, from several different sites in Singapore. And what was really interesting is that they then looked at what happened when they did a national infection prevention control program on, on a national level and what impact that made in, in their data set genomically mm. and fascinatingly and, and not, not unsurprisingly, given what we're talking about, the clonal spread, so the same, same bacterium, same carbapenemase began to reduce in line with this intervention, mm-hmm. but the plasma-mediated spread continued to rise, Yeah, so that provides some epidemiological support for this genetic um, phenomenon that plasma-mediated mediated spread is is a real thing. And if we don't change the way that we look at it and begin to change the way that we manage it, it's going to begin to compromise our effectiveness as an IPC program if we only focus on the same organism, same uh, carbapenemase transmission.
0: I mean, has it made you think about what you're going to be doing at work then in your day job, which is running a big team of several hospitals? Are those sort of things you're thinking, okay, maybe we need to think about this, this and this?
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, what what is our case definition at the moment for a CP outbreak in England? It is you have same bug, same gene, linked in time and space. And what we're going to have to begin to do is say any bug, same gene, linked in time and space. Hmm. So when we have... a uh, NDM Citrobacter during a time period when we have a Klebsiella NDM outbreak, I don't think we can anymore more say, "Well, that's definitely not related." We have to begin to say, "Well, maybe that could be related by a plasmid transfer."
0: How many organisations could do that, though, John? Do you think?
1: Well, everybody could do that. In ter- everybody could do that in terms of the case definition. Yeah. But I think what's really important to me, and this is an applied research need, is is really. Sizing that risk, because what it will end up doing is is sort of reducing the specificity of our outbreak definition. Mm. And it will mean that, that some of the, the organisms that we're including in our outbreak are actually not related. They're spuriously linked. And mm. then we begin to expend some of our precious resource on the non-outbreak isolates. We run out of single rooms. We run out of staff time. We don't have enough time for education. And the outbreak goes on for longer. Yeah on the On the other hand, if our outbreak is not sensitive enough at outbreak definition and we we leave out the the plasmid mediated transfer altogether, then we run the risk of outbreaks propagating because because our intervention's not focused on the right things.
0: Can we do this fast enough, though, John, do you think? I mean, you know can we get this information about we've got a particular gene kicking around quickly enough to actually intervene, or is it we get this weeks later, and that was interesting? and, half the patients are gone, and who knows where it's gone from then. I mean, you know, we're, we're certainly not in the real-time whole-genome sequencing era that a couple of people in the world are in.
1: Yeah, and and even if we were, real-time whole-genome sequencing is based on short-read sequencing, so the newer sequencing technology does lots, sequences lots of little bits of the genome patchwork, patchworks it together. That's not a word. Just made that up. Yes, it's a good word, though. Uh, Thank you. And make some inferences about genome structure. To do a proper job, you need to do long read sequencing, which takes a bit longer. Hmm. So I don't think we'll, we'll ever, certainly not anytime soon, have that information straight back to say, yes, that plasmid is linked in the same way that we might be able to say that organism is linked with, with current typing methods. But I think we could look at some data sets we have with, a new, with new eyes and begin to say, let's have a look at that. Citra back to NDM and see whether that NDM plasmid is the same as the klebsiella plasmid that we that we talked about earlier mm. and then if it is then then we begin to say okay what do we need to do differently here
0: so what was your biggest take-home message from it really then because you know you, you've highlighted a number of points in your blog which I'll link to if if there's anybody on the planet who hasn't least read it yet um but you know What's the big ticket item for you then? Because there's
1: a number of things we could be working on. So plasma-mediated carbapenemase spread has been a theoretical risk for a long time. Hmm. Um, I think it's becoming uh, really difficult to disregard it now. And I think we probably do need to be a bit more active in our wider surveillance of carbapenemases in different species during an outbreak period. And a local
0: action, do you think, for the average infection prevention team sitting in the district general? where they thinking they might have something going on? Is there anything yeah, I think, you could recommend?
1: I think keep, keep all the isolates, definitely. Yeah. Um, don't disregard those non-same organism carbapenemases too quickly um, and consider that they actually might be linked and might be involved in the transmission dynamics. Yeah,
0: so it's open your mind so that a bit, that- isn't it, really? Yeah.
1: yeah. So, I mean, we'd, we'd isolate any CPE, but but during an outbreak... We have enhanced precautions. Um, we might cohort together. That those sort of things. Um, or oh, heck, as I'm think, as I'm talking, I just wondering about cohort. Cohorting <laughs> would would you would you cohort a different organism? Say, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, are you going to
0: cohort a plasmid, or are you going to cohort the organism. You know that that's that's where we may go down the route of.
1: No, it's okay because my my you wouldn't know uh, that uh, though, would you? It's okay, though, because my hospital in my se- head has 100% single rooms. So oh, excellent. So I don't need to worry oh, no, about that's that. That's fine, then. Yes. Yes. Meanwhile, back on planet Earth. <laughs> and no bathrooms. And no bathrooms. So the patients aren't allowed to go to the toilet. No. And don't need to brush their teeth. So as long as that's the case, then they can have their single room. Yeah, they don't brush their teeth. and they're, they're
0: good to go and get pneumonia, though, aren't they? So that's, that's the, <laughs> the wrinkle on that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Well, lots more questions, then. Yeah, I still think a quick thing people could do though is take a walk around and and look at where sinks are in risky areas. You know, Mark Garvey showed some dialysis outlets very close to sinks. You know, that's really got to be a risky area, and you know, anywhere near where you're mixing up IV drugs and prepping, that's not going to be yeah. great, great either. I'd actually like to know something about a splash. You know, you, you're going to get droplets coming out. And they're going to evaporate, and how far they may go. I've absolutely no idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some other simple stuff we can do, like um, make sure hand washing sinks are used occasionally for hand washing. That'll oh, be a good that thing. That'll be novel. Um, make sure your sinks are free flowing and not blocked, and your showers as well mm-hmm. are free flowing because backflow from down in the drains is an obvious route back up for the organisms. And slow draining Um, sinks
0: splash more. So, um, you know, don't put your hand towel dispenser directly above the sink so that when procurement buy you a really cheap paper towel, bits don't fall down the sink and block it. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Drain disinfection is in its infancy as an idea. Um, There was some evidence in this session at ICPIC that um, drain disinfection with a chemical or thermal disinfection or some ultrasound type stuff, the early evidence coming out is 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 mixed. Um, some studies show that it really really works; other studies not so much. In fact, there's a great study from states that showed it that hovering, putting a cover on the slop hopper in the sluice, and having some kind of ultrasonic tool to make sure it it doesn't get biofilm or less biofilm down there halved the number or the rate of of, of CP Klebsiella infections on the ICU, cut it in half. Mm. Those interventions. That, does that really mean that half of those infections originate in those slop hoppers? Seems difficult to believe. Yeah, mm, interesting.
0: Somebody's then got to maintain it all. Then, though, have not they? That's you know, once you start putting in mechanical heating, and I've seen heating systems that boil up your trap and all the rest of it. And it's yeah, you know, it starts to get complex yeah. and expensive.
1: And then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, do we bite the bullet and go water free? Mm. Um, we've all seen the data showing that water-free care in in critical care definitely reduces the risk of gram-negative BSI. Clearly, it introduces some management challenges and patient care challenges. Mm. We need water occasionally, yeah. Um, but perhaps that's part of the route out of this.
0: Oh, well, I look forward to the next few years of moving forward in this because uh, it, we clearly, once we start to open our eyes and accept that this is likely to be happening, then you're much more likely to be able to find a solution than rather than ignoring it. I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, John. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, thanks very much. It's been really interesting as usual, and nice to chat. Thanks, Martin. See you later. Okay. Catch you at the next episode, everybody. Bye bye.